first I spend the after the row for taking time. I know it's a quiet day here in the office, but we'll bring some action here. <coughs> so if the element has questions, we can open up the floor. Maybe we'll start with that. I was always wondering, just trying to understand the Mitzvah, what happened in the past X amount of years regarding bugs. Is it something changed? Something happened different? When we were growing up, we didn't hear much about bugs. I certainly didn't. And it seems to be a very different reality today. The Mitzvah has changed. And the That's a good question. It's like this. The, um, it used to be that the bugs were relatively easy to get rid of. But as they used this, these um, chemicals against that killed the bugs, the stronger ones, like from a thousand bugs, you had two who were able to withstand the DDT or other things which you had in those times. And those that were the survivors, they had offspring which were all capable of surviving the um, chemicals which they had in those times. So they had came out with stronger chemicals. So for another thousand of these, <clears throat> two of them survived. And then they, their offspring were all able to survive the stronger chemicals. And this kept on um, going that stronger and stronger chemicals were used in order to kill the bugs. Not that they had any problem if you eat the bugs, but just if someone cooked some uh, rice and then those little bugs were pulling around on the water, it was uncomfortable for the housewife and for the company that produced it. That's why they wanted to make sure there were no bugs. Until it came to a point that the government intervened and they said, at this point, the chemicals which they're using are getting dangerous for human beings. And so therefore they were curtailed on what kind of of what kind of chemicals they could use. And because of that, the bugs just kept, they, they were not strong enough for the, to kill the bugs. So therefore, the bugs kept on. They had a bracha, that they kept on growing and growing. And that's why we have so many bugs today, because there are no chemicals uh, um, permitted by the government to be able to kill them. When was this? Think about it. Yeah. This was, uh, it started maybe in the 80s, maybe in the 70s already. There, there were warnings out, you know, there were, there was this f fellow who was um, always uh, on the watch out for um, people's health. Got his name already. Pun? <laughs> no, it was uh, someone, it was a famous person. Ralph Nader? Yes, Ralph Nader, yes. Thank you. Ralph Nader. So he was the one who, I don't know if Ralph Nader is living anymore, but he started this whole thing out. Silent Spring, I think, was the name of the book that he put no, out. No, no, no. Rachel Carson. That was Rachel Carson. That was someone else? <laughs> Rachel Carson. He wrote a book about uh, 
the, uh, the Corvair, Corvair unsafe at any speed. Yes, <laughs> that was the, the, the car. Yes, right. Nada uh, um, well, was, was involved with that also. But Silent Spring was a book about bugs. TDT. The DDT was was the was from the not so strong ones. They got stronger ones, herbicides and things like that, and it, it got so bad that the government stopped it. So you can't do it anymore. The same thing is I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Yashan Kharash um, um, issue. When we grew they don't up, want to hear about <laughs> when we grew up, no one ever heard anything about uh, about Yasha. And the truth was that until the 60s, there was never a problem in the United States of Yasha. Why? Because they produced more uh, crop uh, from the, the grains, the five grains, than they could use. So they used to store them up. And whenever they needed, they took out of the storage, and it, everything was Yashin. There was nothing that wasn't Yashin. What happened? Some um, smart fellow figured out it doesn't pay, it doesn't make any financial sense to take the new crop and put it into storage and take the old crop out of the storage because you, it's, it's a double endeavor. You're, you're, you're putting things in storage and taking things out of it. Why don't we just take the new crop and sell it on the market and leave the storage in it? It's cheaper, much cheaper that way. And that's in the, in the beginning of the 60s, this became a problem. Then we had a problem with Yashin, especially um, when a, a lot of our uh, crop was being bought by Russia, even though the United States wouldn't do any trade with Russia. This is a Cold War. So they sold to Holland, and Holland sold it to Russia. They sold it to other countries. They sold to Russia. It was just a, a way of how to do business. But everything got sold. There were times when they actually were cleaned out. But, um, but even when they're not, they, they didn't take the old stuff out of storage. It lasted quite long um, under the right temperature conditions. If it's dry, if it's less than 14 percent, um, um, humidity content in the wheat. It stored very well, it didn't get moldy. And um, that, that's what we didn't hear about those in those days, now we hear about it. Does the Starkey have a policy on, on Kaddish and Yashan? Or is there, we, we hear have, about it, we hear about it, but is there what to... to we have a policy. Our policy is that it's not the standard of the Starkey to only certify things which are Yashan. Um, we have a lot of um, items which are Yashan, and they, um, at least in this town, people know where to get it. But when you're talking about, uh, and we actually were the second people in the United States that were Makbaran Yashan, that had such a thing as Yashan. The first one was Chicago, and the Reverend Salvage, it was very marked on Yashan. And um, he had someone who was able to grind, <coughs> grind the Yashan uh, kernels into flour, but we didn't have that um, 
um, opportunity, what we did is we stored it. We figured out a way how to store it over the um, over the winter, and we kept it. And uh, and Hashem, we've been successful with uh, when we, uh, we we're not going to say something's Yashan if we can't enforce it. We have to be on top of it. So we have some place over there in the middle of Wyoming. Um, we're not going to send a Meshkech there every day to see what's going on. So we, it's not Yashan. But if we, if we have something which is Yashan, uh, you can call us, we'll tell you if it's Yashan or not. Is everything in the Starkey Pasi Sorrel? Yeah, like the breads and whatever? Or only if it says? No, not everything in... But that's not one of our policies either. Everything has to be Pasi Sorrel. Uh-huh. We do have a lot of places that are Pasi Sorrel, but it's not... We go with the Shulchan Aruch. You know, there's such a thing as Shulchan Aruch. And Shulchan Aruch says you don't need Pasi Yisrael. It's a Pas Balta, it's okay. So we go along with that. But we do... But... Uh, Starke is Cholisra. Um, Everything with Starke is Cholisra. Now there is a Stardi. Is all Stardi promise are not Cholisra. They're under the supervision of the young Israel of uh, America. Um, so they, they're not Cholisra. So, uh, it looks completely different to the symbol. Um, and um, you know, it's a big D uh, with a star with a star inside. If something is DE, but it doesn't, it, it says, let's say, it contains nuts and whatever, but doesn't say milk or dairy, but there's natural flavors. Is that, could you consider that DE or even because for allergens, it might not say it contains milk, but maybe hexa wise, it really, it's not just DE. It's, it's more than that, but is there any way to know if it's more than just stam de? Okay, so uh, we don't use de. The stock hey, doesn't use de. Well, is either milchik or it's uh, parv. Well, if it doesn't say yes, know, we, we don't use de. But, but those who do use de is um, it should mean that there is no milk in the product at all. It is only um, uses equipment which was used for milkings. And what if there's a D on the star K, but you look and it doesn't say for allergen water, you know, sometimes it'll say it contains this and this, but it doesn't we, say milk. We would just say, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, what the case you're referring to, but if it says that, it says D, that means that it was made in milk of kale, if there's nothing on the ingredients. Now, it's not always so easy to figure out what, which ingredients are milchik. Let's say um, casein. Right. So, you know, some people um, think that maybe it's a meat product, and some people might think it's a milk product. So, uh, if you think it's a, in this country today, if you think it's a milk product, it's a milk product. If you think that it's not a milk product, it becomes a meat product. <laughs> I'm just joking around. Um, the casein is, is, is the protein of milk. So whether it's sodium cassinate, which is very commonly found in food, which is also it's actually milchix. Of course, whey is milchix. And um, there are various uh, 
foods that could have milchiks in it that you might not recognize by the name. But can you trust the, the allergen part? If it doesn't say milk, can you trust, and you, and you see it doesn't say whey or casein or... I would think yes, that you could rely on that because if it's someone was hurt, um, they can get the big trouble. Um, they're going to pay big money if someone got hurt right. from uh, milk, uh, from uh, milk ingredient, and they say there's not no milk in it. There could be problems. Are there fruits and vegetables that don't have more bugs in them today, or were more mafar about? Um, are there more today than there used to be? No. It, there are other bugs, the bug was asking about, he said that there were more, the bugs got stronger. But are there certain fruits that we just didn't know that there was bugs in before? And now we do know? Yeah, it could be. Let's say the Kalmyra figs, I don't know if you're familiar with this. There was someone who went, went to Turkey and he saw these Smyrna figs and he liked the taste. So he thought it would be a good business opportunity to bring them over to America and grow them here. So he went and he, he took the trees that had the figs and he planted them in California. So the first year it didn't give any fruit. Nor did it give any fruit the second year or the third year. So he realized there must be some problem over here. So he, looked, he had the experts, and they finally figured out that there's something different about figs than there are about many other trees. There are certain plants, like dates and figs, that have a, and coconuts and things like that, that they have a zocha tree and an akeva tree. Yeah. Most uh, plants have the zachras and the nakras in the same tree. That they can, that they, the bees, the bees come and they um, fertilize the, fertilize them from the tree itself. But uh, by by fig trees, or at least by this fig tree, it was only. Um, it, it was they have a tree that's in the cavus and a tree that's scarum. So many of the palm trees are like that. So in California, let's say, when they have the palm trees down the, down, let's say in Los Angeles, they have down the sides of the road for beauty, they only take scarum, no nakavis, because nakavis are danger. They're dangerous because if, um, if it gives uh, fruit and the fruit falls off after a while, um, or if you have a coconut and the coconut falls on someone's head, they, um, can, people can get hurt. And if they go on the ground and the person has to make a stop and he puts his foot on the brakes and he'll, the car will just slide. So they only use harm trees which have no fruit. There's no, there's no fruit. So when he realized that, so there was no problem. He went back to Turkey, got the harm trees and planted them. So the first year there was no fruit, the second year was no fruit, third year was also no fruit. So you realize there must be something wrong. So you guys are experts here, and they said the problem is that the beetles that take the 
the the powder for, which is necessary from the scarum to the nakavas, you don't have that. Okay, so now there's something there's a special type of beetle that goes onto the on the zacha tree. It gets um, um, powdered from the powder which is necessary. They go into the nakava tree. They go into the blossom, and they work their way all the way down to the bottom. And then the fruit forms around them and ingests the um, beetle into the into the fig. That's a, they're called cow myra figs. The the myra comes from Smyrna, and the cow comes from California. That's what you call them. And now they now they have them. So I checked a lot of these figs to see if there's any remnants of the beetles. Um, in there, I couldn't find they're all uh, eaten up. It's, it gets eaten up by the fruit. It gets digested and eaten up. Hope you'll uh, enjoy them when we eat them. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, they do have a hatcher. Some of these Kalmyra pigs do have a hatcher. Yes, once they're eaten up, they're kosher. When, once the the fruit has formed and it gets ripe, it should be all eaten up by that time. Uh, tummy, tummy, tummy. I know, but this is how the Ramshaw made it, so it must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Rosh here, like some one or two carnage issues or shells that the Starkey or the Rebel looked into recently? Of the, of the Starkey? Starkey. Star- 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 yeah, but some, some carnage issues that you've looked into recently. I know, just uh, looking at this one, I see there's a problem. <laughs> They're supposed to show it to me before they print it, but I'm, I was available sometimes on a meeting with a delegation from Cincinnati. <laughs> so, so then uh, they just printed uh, the way it is. I was, I was in a place recently and somebody was using a microwave between Milchik and Fleshik and covering what was inside the microwave and saying that it was okay because things were covered. You know, is there any sort of basis for that in a microwave? The microwave is an interesting phenomenon that if you cook something in, a, in an oven, the oven heats up the kale in which the food is in, and the kale heats up the, uh, the food inside, in, which is inside it. In a microwave, the microwave heats up the food and the food heats up the clean. Not that you need it to be uh, heated up, but that's uh, what, what happens. Um, really, if in a, in a microwave, since it's just the food that gets heated up, but not the container which is in, some, a lot of people have found that the, even if you cook up water in a, in a microwave, it's bubbling away, if you put your hands on the side of the microwave or on the top of the microwave, it doesn't. It's not hot. So if it's not hot, so then it's uh, all that you would need is just to make sure it's clean. If there's nothing there, you may have to wash it out or whatever is necessary to clean it. Then now on the bottom, it does get hot. Um, again, it's from the food. It gets hot, it makes the kale hot, it makes the, it makes the okay, microwave hot, but you can change the floor. You, you put in a piece of um, styrofoam on the bottom, and it's, uh, it's good. So as long as the microwave is clean and there's a new 
plate underneath the whatever's being cooked. Right, so it will be good if it doesn't get hot. Now, sometimes they do get hot, I, I don't know, had, um, but a lot of people told me that this doesn't get hot. So you can do that. How is one supposed to know if the inside of the microwave gets hot? You put your hand there. <laughs> inside? <laughs> or oh, afterwards? Yeah. Or the wall? Yeah, you put, you put, you, no, no, you can't do the outside, because probably insulation is. You put your hand, you open it up, after whatever there's is cooking, whatever, put your hand on the, on the ceiling and on the walls, and you feel if you can keep your hand there. Mm -hmm. Is there a necessity for a cover then? Cover what? The food? Cover the food or this is even without covering the food? This is even without covering the food. But if you don't cover it, you might have to clean it. Clean it. Right. Yeah. So if there was a plate, somebody cooked milk, somebody made cheese in a plate in the microwave, and then you take that plate out, and then you put a plate with flesh again, uncovered, should that be okay, assuming the walls are not getting hot? If it doesn't get hot, yes. Wow. So I want to tell you something interesting about a microwave. Rabbi Yashif says that if you cook up water in a microwave, you can't use it to kasha. If it was, if the thing that became, let's say by mistake it became flashix, it's supposed to be milkix. It's made out of metal, something you shouldn't kasha. He says, if it happened on a regular stove, you can't cook up water in a microwave and use that water to kasha. Because it says in Shulchan Aruch that you can't use water from Chamitveria to kasha with, even though it's bubbles and it's hot. It's a different type of heat. So he says microwaves also is a different type of heat, and therefore you can't use it unless it became traced through a microwave. Yes. So you, you, the question just got asked with the microwave: if the top and both sides aren't getting hot. The problem is the plate. If you go to, like, for example, a hotel where the uh, microwave is going to be cleaned and it has a plate in there, you take out the glass plate and bring your own from home, is that a problem? Can you use that then? As long as you make sure that it doesn't get hot. It's not true so of you, all microwaves. So if you test it beforehand, yes. then you, you can actually use the trace microwaves in the hotel room. No. You can actually use the microwave which was used for trade. If it's a very dirty, if it's a very dirty microwave, it has to be clean. If it's a very dirty microwave and it's covered in plastic, and you cover the food in plastic bags, do plastic bags make a difference? If I've covered food and then put it in two plastic bags, they're both tied. Okay, so first I want to tell you that if you put food that you're trying to cook in a plastic bag, you if you tie it tight, you may have an explosion over here, you know, it's a, because it's a It may or may not have happened before. <laughs> okay. But assuming that it didn't explode. So if it is that type of microwave that does not get yasled as well, so then you can you can do that. Not only that, but when you have these uh, airline meals, how do they uh, keep them kosher? They have to he they heat them up. They have double wrapped. Those are with foil, though. No, okay, it doesn't make any difference if it's plastic or if it's foil. It's double wrapped. Oh. It doesn't. It, this doesn't go from one to the other. So even if it would get very hot, 
But if it's double wrapped like this. Double wrapped. If it doesn't get that hot, you don't need a double wrap. One wrap is fine. Right. Is there any way to kosher it if the sides do get hot? Um, Ramasha Feinstein says you cannot kosher with steam. Ramasha Feinstein also says that um, you can't uh, kosher plastic. So maybe it's metal inside, some of them may be metal. But if they're plastic, you can't kosher it. And if they are, um, if you try to kosher with steam, I saw someone said you put in a glass and the steam goes and fills up the whole container. Moshe says you can't kosher with steam. So it's not, uh, at least it's not kosher according to everyone. That's where that one. <laughs> and you have everybody asked that says that, that that water can't be used for kashering. Anyway. No, but that's true. Yeah, but it could be, became trafe with that water. It became trafe through the microwave. But if they ever use it to boil, then you can't use water anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If they ever boiled water in it, that's the problem. But if they never use it for water, they trafe it through something else, it should right. be a problem. That's a problem, yeah. What's the star case policy about? Um, of various venues that does the does the hashgacha apply to things other than the food for example if it's a venue that's at a questionable um, environment or things of that nature or, or and the star k policy aside what's the what are the rough thoughts about about that topic price okay so if we give hashgacha to a hotel so people are relying on us that this is a kosher place to go to, so then it has to be separate swimming, and the uh, uh, swimming pool has to be sneezed, they can think about that. But if the caterer's house is catering a wedding, we don't say, uh, we don't look into maybe the, the chasen is a, a kayan and the kawa is a grusha. We don't look into that. Or maybe. She's now Mona and the Chosnitz of Hangal. But Lamashal, what if there would be mixed dancing? However, okay. if the um, two males or two females are getting married, I sent a letter to all our caterers and said that they're not allowed to cater a wedding like that. By he Hayyim, that uh, a couple of men came. And they said they want to have the kosher wedding. So they said, we can't do it. I said, why not? Our rabbi doesn't allow it. He said, I'm going to sue you. So now, so they called me up, the caterer, and said, what are we supposed to do? So I called up their Aguda, national Aguda, and I spoke to Abraham and David Swivel, and I said, if they sue us, do we have a chance to win? Said you have no chance to win. <laughs> okay, so now we were really in a pickle. So what we did in the end, the Embraer, we didn't have any choice, is we 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 didn't give the Hersha. McNamara gave the Hersha. Big sign up. McNamara, or whatever his name was. And uh, um, he was a guy when I was giving the hatch. Um, but 
They just had to have a kosher certification. So we were there um, just to make sure that it, the kehum was uh, okay and everything was being done right, unofficially, but it was officially under Hechshav uh, because we didn't want to be associated with it, uh, at least officially. So without us, well, you know, there's no use going to a court if you're going to lose. Did the Star King get the money or McNamara did? <laughs> we we have like a yearly uh, uh, deal with them, so it didn't make any difference. <laughs> Actually, McNamara was the name of the of one of the cooks who was a guy. <laughs> so, other than something like that, would be a, a, somewhat of an extreme example. Let's say it would be something like mixed dancing at a at a, at a wedding. Okay. Or are, are there gray areas that this? Okay, so if it's a hotel. So it's under, our, the whole place is under our hersha. So we feel warm our eyes. We do tell them that all of our restaurants are not allowed to have any mixed dancing. It's in, it's in their contract. But when it comes to a caterer, so it's not really in the hands of the caterer to, um, I mean, he can say it, but if the people get up and dance, uh, um, so it's very difficult to stop it. Our definitely our policy is you can't do it, but it's, um, it could be now and then that someone's going to do it, and we can't. Uh, it's uh, we don't we don't want it. They know we don't want it. Not only that, but I remember we had a a, a from a couple. They wanted to have a wedding in a hall. And out of the window, there was a swimming pool. And we didn't let them, we hadn't been, um, cover all the windows so they shouldn't be able to look outside. What, what, is, what is an issue facing Klai so that everybody feels that we can do something about it? You know what Chazal say, it's koshu koshu. First, we've got to work on ourselves. So, so I'm not finished working on myself yet. So, but, you know, there is... Uh, if we all come with one resolve to fix something, okay, so it will get done. Otherwise, not so simple. We're working on it. Uh, when it comes to liquors, and a lot of Star K kosher liquors, but the label doesn't have a Star K on it. Is there a reason for that? There is a reason for that. What is it? Uh, so first of all, some of them that we on our list, it's not under our supervision. We just checked into it and we see that there's there's no problem however there could be a problem and it's really out of our hands what i mean is like this liquor in general is made from grain and the grain has a hummus problem it's owned by a yeed it's very difficult for us to keep uh, and liquor's kept for years you know that about 40% of all liquor companies are owned by Jews. Okay. And, and not, not only that, so, but once they sell it to a distributor, it can stay in his place sometimes for a long time, over Pesach. And he could be, he could be a yeast. As a matter of fact, a lot of the beer distributors are hidden. And we, we deal with that over here. We have certain, uh, we tell people what kind of beers you can drink in the couple months after Pesach. And um, like, oh, you are on the bread. 
a Geisha company. Uh, it's a Yiddish company, we don't give any hashkach on them for Pesach, of course not. But if it's a Geisha company, we don't suspect that a Yid is going to see the starke on the bread on Pesach and is going to eat the bread. Just like we have no way of controlling that a person should wait six hours after he eats fleshics until he eats milchics. We give hashkacha on the milchika product and uh, we rely on the people that, they'll, that they'll, anyone who's interested in the hechsha knows that you have to wait between the flesh and the milk. So we rely on the people that people know you can't eat hummus on Pesach. So, so, so we rely on that. And what was the, what was the question again? The Y star K. Yes, right. It's not so, on the label. Right. So we have no way of knowing if this um, was in the hands of a Yid over Pesach or not. It's very hard for us to know that. So we did have a, we did have one kind of a, of a whiskey which was made completely from uh, uh, no grain of the kidneys and uh, it wasn't, it was, it didn't, uh, was not a bestseller. <laughs> 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 but the um, th that's one of our problems. Are there any areas of cut? I will call this Israel. We have, uh, we know that when you chef rate of the behemoths are trafus. And when it comes to call this we rely on drink call this I this rave are trafus, so it should be called on call of tummy. How do we avoid that issue? How you want to avoid the issue? No, how, how do we rely on just drinking? Oh, how we rely. Okay. <laughs> even, even coffee so Okay, there's a way to avoid the issue. Like if we'll make uh, um, Bempakua um, <laughs> <laughs> fairy cows, because all them all open be There is, um, it's a little bit misleading. The, um, the, information that you have given me is a little bit inf uh, misleading. It is true what you're saying. <coughs> when we shech the, these dairy cows, if we get 10% kosher, we're doing great. That's true. But that doesn't mean to say that 90% of the milk is from trafic cows. For the following reasons. Number one, we had a uh, we had a situation in uh, the slaughterhouse. Uh, we have a slaughterhouse, uh, one of our slaughterhouses in Baltimore. That the owner of the slaughterhouse brought in about thirty cows, um, uh, dairy cows. In the middle of the shechita, as soon as the cows came in, they went and they uh, and they pay us by the shechita. When they shechta a cow, when they shechta an animal, they pay us. Well, it's kosher treif, the, the sake. It's required. You can't just charge for kosher. Otherwise, we are suspect that maybe we're trying to make them kosher. So, but the, the owner knows that the amount of, uh, the percentage of dairy cows kosher is very slim. It doesn't pay for him to pay for cutting 10 cows in order to get one kosher. So the, he doesn't pay for the cows. It's okay, you know, you're not going to 
you're not mukhlif to get on kosher, and the shachim don't shecht it. So when, as soon as the cows came in, the 30 cows, he stopped the whole shkita and killed all these cows. Took one and a half hours. So the shachim said to me, it's not fair. We have to sit around um, because uh, these cows came in, kill the cows at the end of the day so we can go home early. This way we're just sitting around over here and doing nothing and not getting paid. Okay, so I spoke to the owner. So the owner told me, when does a person sell a dairy cow? The owner, when does he sell it? He sells it when it doesn't pay any more to feed the cow. It costs more to feed the cow than you can make from the milk of the cow. He says, very often, he said, if I'll wait till the end of the day to shaft these cows, a couple of them will have died already. But they're holding by the end of their life, and that's when they, that's when they kill. So, okay, I said, I understand, so you, you can't wait. So this is, the, this is the answer. It is true that when we shecht the cows, 10% of them are kosher. But the milk doesn't come only from cows on the last day. As a matter of fact, uh, the cows through their whole lifespan of about 16 years, they, as soon as they become pregnant and have a child, they uh, calf, they will give milk. And that continues, it's a cycle after two years, Okay. So, so the, so they give they give milk. The older the cow is, the more likely it'll be the, the treif. These adhesions on the lung they grow with age. So therefore, when they are young, and they're giving milk, uh, maybe sixty um, percent of them. But when we get them, we only get them when they're already holding a dot. So then, um, it's only ten percent. That's the first thing, and all the milk is mixed together of all the cows. So that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer is that it is true that we only get ten percent. But Chazal said, "Roiv behemus k'sheres," the roiv behemus akasha. So even whenever there's a machlokes in the Mishnah. If this is kosher or not, we're machmer. Whenever there's machlokes in the Gemara, if it's kosher or not, we're machmer. Whenever there's a machlokes in the Rishonim, if it's kosher or not, we're machmer. Whenever there's a machlokes in the Achronim, we're also machmer. So after all our chumras, it turns out that we don't have rov kosher, uh, not rov kosher at least. But the, um, if there's actually, if they're treif or not, so that is, um, according to some Jews, is kosher, according to some Jews, not. And I spoke to someone who gives a hashkocha on a, a certain slaughterhouse, and he says, all the behaviors of my slaughterhouse are kosher according to at least one sheep. <laughs> we may not pasca that way, but at least they're kosher according to one sheep. So I'm not saying that there's any credence to that, but I am saying that even just if Chazal were made that Roy Behemus Ksheris, it's a it's it's okay. So there's Rav um, the, 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 there's a Rav Choshva uh, Shiva in YU. His name is Rav Shechter. What's his first name? Rav Shechter. Shechter. So he's marked with not to drink regular milk. I said, 
I can get you milk from a Bakua, then you wouldn't have any shilas. So he says, uh, no, it's not necessary. He does something else. He gets milk from a someone who has one cow. And that's the milk that he drinks. Because he says, because if you have all kinds of cows, young cows, old cows, who knows what, what kind of cows, there's for sure some trafus over here. And the question is, do you have shishim? Remember, Mino is half a bottle of so it's not so derisa, but Mirabana you need shishim. So then it's not so simple that you can be made They have one cow, you say, right behind us, Cheris, and that's what he does. The Star K gives the Hatchers to up the kosher um, the ovens with the Shabbos mode. If, if, if you have your oven on Shabbos mode at the lowest temperature possible, which I think is 175 or 180, can that be used on a regular Shabbos, like a, a warming draw, as in open and closing it as needed? Do we have to stop? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll just answer this question, and then we have to stop. Once the oven gets to more than Yatso, let us go, it's considered an oven. It doesn't make any difference if the oven gets to 175 degrees, 235 degrees, 325, doesn't make any difference. It's considered an oven. That's what Moshe finds in Pasins. And um, we are machmer or mekel, whichever you want to look at it, that 120 degrees is considered yasalet as well. And the reason why we say that is based on an experiment which my Rosh Hashiva, I learned later with Rabbi Ankar, the second star of Rocha, did. Well, I was there. I was there for Shaz Feinstein when they did it. That he had a big bowl, uh, a metal bowl, and they put warm water in it, and he had 10 bachrim that had a hand in this water. And then there was someone else who took a kettle with boiling hot water and poured it in, and he turned and he stirred it around while I was pouring it in. And as soon as one bacher couldn't keep his hand in anymore, it was 120 degrees. So then there was a thermometer in it. So Marashiv says by 120 degrees you have to assume this yasal as well. Now some say there's 114 degrees, some say um, different shurim, but this is the what we hold. And star cake goes by that. 120 degrees yasal as well. Who, 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 what's, uh, and you put stuff in the oven, then? No, it's all right. You put stuff into the oven? Before Shabbos. You take it out on yeah. Shabbos. You know, people used to use the ovens before stock came out. <laughs> it's only because of the problems of the technology that we needed a Shabbat mode. The company, Whirlpool Company, called us, and they put in a safety feature that if you... Uh, going to Eretz Israel, so you go on a plane. The people don't go on boats anymore. And if you, you're in the, uh, the plane takes off, Baruch Hashem, everything's fine. Then you remind yourself, you didn't turn off your oven. So what are you supposed to do now? So don't, don't worry, in 12 hours it'll go off by itself. 
It's a safety feature. So, so with, with, it, with that result, though... Uh, so the problem was that they got a lot of complaints that people put their chant in the ovens before the crop up times, and uh, and they say when they want, when they wanted to eat the chant in the morning, it was cold. Or two day yante. Right. So it, uh, under, it was a twelve hour. Right. Safety feature. So it, so you put it in if you put right. it in before eight o'clock at night. You can, you can so then in the morning at eight o'clock it goes off. Okay. So be, so that's why that's that was one of the reasons why we did it. The other reason is because it had all these uh, um, uh, printouts, no, not printouts, uh, on, the, on the dial. It said what the temperature was and all the other information. That, as soon as you open up the oven, it changed it. So there was another problem which we had. So the third problem was that uh, when you opened the door, the light went on. And even though on a, on a refrigerator, you can just screw out the bulb or screw it loose. But on this, it's, uh, the, it's in a boiling hot oven. So it had to be, um, it was, it was um, fixed into the side of the oven in a way that you could, you can get to it. I mean, you need a screwdriver and maybe some uh, other instruments, uh, tools in order to get to it to screw out the cover to be able to get to it. So, and there was another problem that on the time bake, put on before Shabbos, the time bake. That automatically goes off after three hours, whatever you said before. It beeps. It beeps. And on Shabbos, it beeped and beeped and beeped until much of Shabbos. It didn't stop beeping. So that, so they had that, and uh, so that's what, what the Sabbath note took care of all these problems. Since then, there have maybe been other problems, but that was the problems at the time. So with, with, with the Sabbath note, if you put your food in the oven before Shabbos, like, and you do everything, like, if you put, if you put it on the Sabbath moment, you put your food in before Shabbos, you can uh, you you have to cover the controls with a blech, and then you can uh, you use it just the way you used it before. The way. You can let's say take out your challah and then close it, and then come back and take out your chicken soup and then close it, and come back and take your chicken out and close it. Only on Yantov, not on Shabbos. <laughs> Wait, that's the question. Why? Yeah, that's my, that's, that's the question. Why, you can't, why do you well, have to why? take everything at once? The reason is because when you open up the oven, you are letting hot air out of the oven and introducing room temperature air into the oven, which means that you're going to cause that the oven's going to go on because you opened it. So... Um, we're dealing over here with a groma of a derisa, which Rama says is only muta b'makum pseida. There's a like a fire in the house or something. But if you, but if you take everything out at one time, even though also that one's going to go on because it's on a thermostat. But this heat now that goes on is a mloch and sequel dupla. You don't need that mloch anymore. And since you don't need this, uh, this is on a drabonon. By a drabonon, Roshan Zaman Urbach says that grama uh, is mutter. On, on, on Yontav, grama is mutter anyway, even without, um, even by Dereisa, that's the mission guru passes, and so therefore it does not buy enough. What about beer? And microbreweries. <laughs> a microbrewery has a good one. Good transition. Uh, I have a question inside. <laughs> <laughs>
And sure, it's on your head. <laughs> I got the If If there's one random uh, non-kosher run, like three years earlier, but everything else that the microbrewery has is good, can you rely, assume that all the beer that you see in the grocery store is not made close to that run? I mean, they have one weird oyster-flavored run three years ago, and now everything else is basically just regular flavors. Do you know that they uh, had to do with the flavor? You, you saw it three years ago, but you haven't seen it in the last three years. You probably know that once it's more than 24 hours, it's nice and time of gum. Mm -hmm. Do we know that everything is so three years ago, more than 24 hours? <laughs> <laughs> the question is, can you buy the Khatila? Is in that brand? And the is brand, it, do you assume that the store is still there's something available or? that doesn't have this cooler, you should not use it. It's no different than if you neighbor started using the kosher three years ago and never catch up their pot. Can you eat that? Do we assume that these beers always switch over? Do they have to switch over? Can you keep beer for a year in the grocery store? So there never was a Shabbos mode that regulated temperatures. So it never has anything. Aren't they boiled out with? None of the Shabbos modes do that. They make the temperature stick to a certain. Yeah, it was never sort of thing that it kept it by time. That it was go for X amount of time and then or it never had anything. That was in a, in a refrigerator. Never, never in an oven. Yeah. It, could, it was too complicated to do. What, what, how do you do it? Maybe it stays at a temperature for X amount of time, and then, I don't know, cycles. So you can cycle, let's say, um, five minutes every 15 minutes. That's right. But you take a chance, because it depends how long you need the oven open. Right. It depends on the ambient temperature, wherever you're, you're cooking. So there's, there's so many variables that if you want to get the product where you want it, it's not going to work. Are there any areas in Kashrus that the Ruff feels that people are either mistakenly machmir or mistakenly mekel? Like certain areas that involve amaranthus? Um, all I'll say is that if you are not sure, if you're being, uh, if you're not sure about the status of the Kashrus, it's better to be over machmir than to over mekel. If it becomes public that a certain restaurant had an issue with their kashas, so do we assume the reflux bad about the agency or it could happen to anyone? Actually, there is no 100% guarantee of, in, in anything, even in your own house, right? So do you expect the cashers in the restaurant to be better than your own house? You make mistakes. We're human beings. We deal with human beings. I mean, sometimes the mistakes are not intentional, and sometimes they're intentional. The intentional mistakes are much worse, but it is impossible for any uh, cashers organization um, to be 100% sure that nothing will go wrong. I don't think it's possible. We have to do what, what we can as long as it's uh, assumed that under normal circumstances everything will be okay. 
you have a right to rely on that. We try to make whatever um, efforts we can to make sure that no problems arise. In other words, um, there was a man, Mashkiach, he had a question that um, he found um, he found some uh, um, it was uh, lemon in the fridge refrigerator, yeah. closed container. So he called up Rabik, was I actually called up Rabik, and said, uh, "Can I use the flesh extent?" He said, "Yeah." Now, Rabik is not mean anymore. Rabik was a very choshva paisik. I would have had no problem asking Rabik any any of my shayos. He was a famous paisik. But in my house, I have milkers classics in the same refrigerator. I have a suspicion that you maybe have the same in your, in your house. Yes. Okay. So there's a very big difference between a refrigerator in a commercial establishment uh, than, a, than our house. Who opens the refrigerator? The workers. So the workers, if they're not careful, not to put any milk in the facial refrigerator or facial in the milk refrigerator is going to be a mayhem. I mean, this is going to be terrible. Things will get mixed up. We don't allow that. So, so I mean, when the person asks for a big shaila, I don't know if he told them that he's asking from a caterer or he's asking for it in his house that he found it. You know, so it's a... Uh, I'll just give an example of the certain things that we do to make sure, as much as we can, that problems shouldn't arise. We don't allow the, all our places, the, if it's milk and inflation, they're completely separate. The fresh the dishes, the cutlery, they're completely different in a different room. They don't use the same room because it's going to cause a problem. Because we're dealing with Goyim. And uh, he went and dealing with a yid who's it's his business and he's nervous and he has to satisfy his customers and uh, he does not let medaik. He knows that this is the place where you've got to go. So whatever he finds there should be flashix or milk So we, we try that and Bakshan Bansh has helped us. We need to see how to try it. Hashgacha protest and the Hashgacha. So the uh, so Hashem that the Rancho has helped us so far, but I'm not saying that it couldn't happen to us. It could happen to us, so I think it happened to some other good people, and it wasn't that fault. Okay, Rabbi Sani.